Natalia? Gosh, you're amazing. Yeah. I'm to, I know the idea. I, I remember of you. Ariella's best friend. Oh, <laughs> I don't remember her name, though. This is really embarrassing. It's okay. It's okay. Sometimes it pops in my head, and sometimes she it's complete, yeah, She is amazing. Complete blank. Okay. This page, the words and the psukim, they're very deep and very important, but I did not choose them for those reasons. I chose them just because they included the letters we're talking about. I just went on the first page of a tikkun and chose sections that I could snap out without having God's name so we wouldn't have serious problems or questions about Seamus and that would have examples of the letters we're talking about, okay? So that was really last time. I'm not sure you're going to really refer back to this too much today. It must have been difficult to, to really... It wasn't really so hard, actually. But, um, yeah, but I, I was, that's what I was thinking about when I did it. So, or if you want to listen to the first session on Zokev Kefufim, which did just get posted today, so then this is, this is what we were referring to. You have to see the shape of the letters in Safras to understand it, because the way we write them in, like, typography <coughs> doesn't include all the aspects of the letters. Mm -hmm. So that could be relevant. You mean the ketters and the... Yeah, um, yeah the shape, exactly, how, they're, how the letters are constructed. Okay. Original. This is more like, this is the original... This is really what the letters are, exactly. Okay. So the last time we met, we spoke about the letters kuf, we talked about the letter kaf, we talked a little bit about the long kaf. Um, we're going to talk about that a little bit more now. We talked about the fei. Am I missing anything? We talked about the kuf. We said that the bent kaf is, um, has two aspects to it, really. It's bent from the top and it's bent from the bottom. If you imagine that a, that a kaf or a chaf is made of really one long movement, right? So you could have made just a long line. Mm -hmm. So how did, it, how did it become a kaf? It's by being bent down at the top, and then it comes straight again, and then it's bent from the bottom. So the bent from the bottom is pressure from below, is a submitting to pressure from below, and the bent from the top was a submitting to pressure from above, right? And the Rambam says that the reason it's the letter kaf that's used as the prefix in front of a word to mean approximately is that's a humility. That a humble person who submits himself to other, you know, who doesn't have to dominate over everybody else, but who's in himself, so he, he doesn't introduce his ideas by being so assertive. He says it's about, it's like, it's similar, approximate, it's kind of humility. Okay, that's the letter, that's the bent chaf, and that's the usual way you see the letter chaf. But when it's at the end of a word, it's long meaning it submits to the above, but it does not submit to pressure from below. That's what an, end of chaf lo an ending chaf, uh, a chaf sofi looks like. And I, I just mentioned, we didn't talk about it, but I mentioned that there is a principle that the five final letters, mem, nun, tzadik, fei, and chaf, these are the five letters that have final forms, those letters are associated with the final geula, with the time of the messianic era the end of days. They're ending letters and they go to the end of days. This is a very deep idea. We, we can't even explore it now really, but it's something to know. You just know that that, that is so. It comes up in many places. It, sh it shows up in Navi. It shows up, there's a, there's a bizarre place, I think it's in Yeshaya, where there's a memsophis in the middle of a word. It's all kinds of unusual things, but this is, a, this is a principle of the final letters, that they're not just final at the end of a word, but they have to do with the final times. Okay. Does that mean now? <laughs> uh, not quite. I mean, uh, the actual like, messianic era. We're heading into oh, it. Into, we're in the beginning well, in it. But actually, in, in the messianic era is related to the final letters. It gives you chills. I mean, it's giving me chills just hearing you say that. Yeah. It's really... 
Yeah. And is it because of the, the shape of the letters? Is it? It all goes together. So here's an example with the shape. We're not. We're not gonna. We can't go into it. It's like a very. It's a long topic and it's a deep topic and it covers a lot of. You have to follow the letters throughout Torah, and there's all kinds of interesting. Um, you remember we said that like with the word uh, kafuf kifufim that when you duplicate the letter, it has the effect of, dupli of emphasizing the idea behind it. So you have this idea where the, when they learn out, when Chazal learn out the meanings of the final letters, they learn them from places where the final letters themselves, or even the individual letters, are duplicated over and over. With the Chafzofis, it's lech lecha, right? Where you have, again, over, you have two Chafzofis together. There's a bunch of, the, that's where they learn them from. It's not just where you have the letter by itself. It's where you have the letter and then it's Double. repeated in on itself. Oh. That has the effect of re-emphasizing whatever concept the letter represents, okay? So could you just repeat that one more time, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, uh, when you, the repetition of a letter has the effect of, I think the word would be amplifying, of amplifying the meaning of the letter which really is very logical, if you think about it, right? Mm -hmm. So every letter, actually one of the things Shelley Fennig brought up yesterday in her shir, her Rosh Chodesh class, was, I'm trying to remember where it was from, if it was the Orgadal Yo, or if it was the Bnei Yisachar. I'm not sure which it was. Um, sounds more like a Bnei Yisachar, but I'm not sure that that's actually what it was. She, she brought an idea that letters are called avanim, bricks. So given the class we had last week, you could see exactly why letters are called bricks or stones that you build from them. Stones, really. Living name is bricks, avanim, oh, right? Okay. That, that you build from them, meaning each letter is a, is a power and a concept of an idea. It represents an idea. When the letters are assembled together, they create words. And a word is a combination of letters, right, that describes a spiritual root of a physical reality. So it's each... recorded. It's being recorded. Okay. But these are ideas we've talked about, so you'll come across them other times. I'm repeating it for your benefit. Thank you. <laughs> okay? Deep, and so. then when we put, yeah, it is very deep, but these are examples of how they play out in real life, like in our actual davening. Like these are ideas that sound very esoteric and like, okay, it's Kabbalistic, like what would you ever do with it? But, but the truth is that you, you, exactly what you do with it. You don't have to always know. Not, not every word do we know how the letters form together to create the idea of the word. But this is why we want to know what the words mean. And why we want to use Lashon Kodesh when we daven wherever we can. Of course God wants to hear from us from the heart. He wants to hear our own ideas. But when we use the words that Chazal have found for us, even Chazal were loath to use their own words. They go back to Navi. They'll go back to Tehillim and take words, right? Because the words have such a power. And the more we can understand the words, the more we, we learn also about ourselves, which is part of Zokeb Kefufim. Can you remind me the book that you sort of refer to? And I Wisdom know. of the Hebrew Alphabet? Yeah, okay by Rabbi Eli Monk. Okay. Outstanding, outstanding, classic, classic. It's one of the first books printed on, like in English on Jewish thought. It's like one of the early Masora art scroll books. I don't know if there was Masora then. Art scroll books yeah, and it's awesome. Also do a book on the Hebrew alphabet. Could or be. Is that the wisdom of the Hebrew alphabet is, the, is Monk? Monk, it's an amazing book. Okay, now, what about the long chaf? This is from Wisdom of the Hebrew Alphabet. This represents that one who succeeds in bending himself in humility or by subjecting his tivos will have help from heaven to rise to his full height and reach his full potential in the end. OK? 
okay, because it's the ending chaf. So the ending chaf is that in the end, he stands straight and tall. And we pointed out he stands straight and tall because he's still subjected above. The long chaf doesn't look like a nun sophis. It's not straight, straight. It's subjected to the, to the pressure from above. That's a positive. And therefore, straight and below. Mm-hmm. Isn't subjected to pressure from below. Yeah? Okay. Is that like the ideal shape then? It's at least in, for a chaf. <laughs> I, I, I can't say like every letter every letter is necessary I don't know so yeah. how is it different than knowing that there is no pressure yeah I don't know I don't know we could look it up it's interesting I, we could look These le- the letters are compared meaning an, uh, the truth is a nun is, is more similar even to a Zion if you find a nun on here you'll see that a nun is like that's why we had some ambiguity in the letter kuf whether the bottom, the leg of the kuf, is it a nun sophis or is it a zayin? Right? It could be it's a zayin. It could be it's a nun sophis. Because in safros, they're the same thing. One is longer. Nun sophis is actually like longer like a zayin. Okay. A nun and a chaf, though, are related. A nun is a short chaf. So they are, they are related. Okay. All right. So now we're going to move forward. Because what we have to do now is figure out where to take all this. We looked at the letters of Zokaif and we looked at the letters of Kafufin. And when you look at the letters of Zokaif, that's why I handed out the sort of plain typography one, because I didn't put together, I did not have access to like a, a Tehillim scroll, right? So we just have to deal with this. But if you look at the letters of Zokaif, these are all letters who are inherently standing straight. That is the nature, that is the characteristic of the letters. It's part of the meaning of the letters in Zokaif which means Hashem pulls high, Hashem draws up. And kifufim, those who are bent, which is inherently letters that are bent over. That's part of the characteristic of them. And now, given all the things we learned about the letters and the meaning of the letters that form the words, what we see out of this is, it is Hashem who straightens those who are bent. And the feeling of being bent, we mentioned this last time, this bracha, Zokev Kifufim Radak said, is not referring to physical slavery itself. It's referring to the feeling of being enslaved. Okay, there are two aspects to being enslaved. Even in Mitzrayim, we're going to get to this maybe even today. Um, Rav Hirsch has quite an interesting essay on this, on the Haggadah. There is the aspect of the physical burden of the labor, and there is the aspect of the feeling of enslavement. And these are two separate things. You can see them by playing out in your mind. Okay? Let's say there's a slave, and um, he gets the flu. So he's laid up in bed for a week. And his boss says, okay, come back in a week. I don't want you contaminating the rest of the family. You know, Go lie down in your hut for a week. So for that week, he doesn't have the burden of the physical, physicality, and he might feel real relief from the fact, I mean, never mind he has the flu, so he feels crummy, but, right, he real relief from not having to do back-breaking labor, but he doesn't feel free. He feels just as oppressed as before, hopeless, there's no way out, this is never going to end. As soon as I feel better, I'm just going to be back in it again, it all starts over, there's no, there's no way out, there's no, no natural way out. And on the other hand, there could be somebody who isn't specifically... Um, 
There's somebody who maybe has a lot of backbreaking work, but they chose it. It's part of their personal goals for themselves. They're training for a marathon, but they don't feel enslaved. They chose it. They wanted it. Okay? So this, this aspect of zokev kefufim is that Hashem raises those who are bent under the burden of the slavery. It's not the physical burden. It's the emotional enslavement. The feeling that there's no way out, that I'm trapped by the system. Okay? Okay. So where is the difference? And we kind of hinted to it by saying that a person could have a lot of work, but if he chose it himself, he doesn't feel enslaved. He might feel very burdened, but not enslaved. And if he feels it's imposed on him and he's trapped, he feels like a slave. So the difference is the choosing. Okay. This leads us... Uh, I'm, I'm not saying this is how all the Mephorshim got to this, but, but for us at least, okay? This leads us to start to realize that one of the main differences here then is our choice. Do I feel that I had a choice or do I feel that I didn't have a choice? Do I have a choice or do I not have a choice? Now, I'm not going where you might think I'm going, which is like, therefore, choose your problems. That's not, I don't think that's necessarily helpful. Sometimes it is, but not here. There's something else we have to understand. People are people because we have Bechira. This is what makes us distinct and human. This is the real, like, human difference, is we have choice. Animals are programmed to do what is good for them and to avoid what is bad for them. They don't really choose it. It's just instinct. Okay, something smells good, they'll go for it. Doesn't smell good, they'll avoid it. And that's right. That's correct for them. That's fine. Okay, but we need to do something beyond that. We need to choose. How so there's this, yeah. Sorry, how did you get from Zokev Kefufim to choosing? Like so I, I, I jumped, but I also pointed out that since Zokev Kefufim means specifically the relief of the aspect of pressure that is caused by feeling I have no choice, I'm trapped. So, so then we realize that there's something here that has to do with choice, but we're going to explore it more deeply. Mm -hmm. It's not just going to be like, an, I won't just layer it on. If I do, then just come back and ask me, because I, I like it to actually all tie together. It might take two more sessions to finish tying it up, but we'll try and, try and be a little efficient. Okay. So I don't know if you've heard this idea. Well, first of all, before we get there. So the kafifa, the feeling bent over, the feeling enslaved, has to do with submitting or, uh, by force, force submission the ultimate of which, which we will continue to explore, so I'm not going to stop on it here, is really submitting to the Yetzirah. We definitely explored this idea already with Matir Asurim, which is the partner bracha to Zokev Kefufim. The idea that when we realize that we can choose over our Yetzirah no matter what, we become completely free. And it doesn't mean we'll never mess up, but that, that was Yosef, right? Yeah. At some point saying, like, I'm just not going to Right, that, he became free. He didn't become free of his physical burden. He was still a slave, and he was in a horrible situation. But he was free of Mrs. Potiphar. Once it became only me and God, he broke through that horizontal line. He broke through that mechitza between the physical world and the spiritual world. Okay. What happens if a person is a slave of his Yetzirah? Okay, this is, this is a passage in uh, Pirkei Avos. It's a mission in Avos, right? That the, the Torah is charus al haluchos, engraved upon the luchos. 
And Chazal say, don't read charus, engraved, excuse me, read cherus, freedom, same letters. Freedom on the luchos. In other words, the mitzvos of the Torah that bind us are actually that which frees us. They free us from our Yitzhahara. Ein lecha ben chorin, no one is so free, elamisha osek batorah, as one who is busy with Torah, who learns Torah. You're the most free by studying Torah. You're not the most bound, you're the most free. Because you become set free of your physical needs, that feeling that I have to, I have to. It's the same idea. It's all there in the levels, these two levels at the bottom, right? The level of the body, the physical need, I must have it. And the spirit and the emotional need. And the this is at the level of the emotion. It's also at the level we said of the stars, the astrology, the climate, right? The system. My destiny, it's my fate, I'll never get out of it. All of these are a trap, right? I feel trapped, I can't get out, what can I, I have to eat. If I don't eat this, right, if I don't, if I don't have, then somehow like it'll be catastrophic. So then I'm trapped. I'm trapped and I'm down here and I'm limited. And where I'm trapped in is down in the level of the animals. And this is in fact what happens. So for example, the Medrash tells us that... <coughs> And this is, this is part of this idea of zokaif. We, we mentioned it with the word kuf. The name of the letter kuf is kuf, right? So remember, kuf meant elevation and standing tall and straight, like zokaif. And kuf also meant, could be read as kof, which is a monkey. Because remember, it went one way or it went the other way. And that's a matter of choice. So in the door enosh, in the generation of enosh, which is... Um, really before, well before even the Tower of Babel, it says that the people started to give in more to their desires. This is after the death of Adam HaRishon. And people started to change their behaviors, right? You lead into Nimrod. The time of Enosh is when people started doing the first kinds of Avodah They started worshiping the sun, the moon, the stars. Okay, so instead of reaching beyond into the levels of supernatural, mm -hmm. they set their sights up to here. In the door of Enosh, people start worshiping sun, moon, and stars. They say, well, God is busy. This is according to the Ramban. God is busy, so he, but he's delegated these things down to these princes, right? Like they deliver. They deliver God's blessing to us, which is true. Therefore, let's just ask them directly. And so they start, this is the beginning of worship of things other than God. And the Medrash says their faces began to look like monkeys. This is when humans and monkeys started to look alike and more similar. Okay, you have a different, yeah. Okay. The word zakaif is also, which you might know if you have sons who studied for bar mitzvah already, um, Zakaif is a, one of the trope. It's one of the names of the musical markers for reading the Torah. There's a Zakaif Katan and a Zakaif Gadol. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the Vilna Gon says, it's just an awesome example. He says, on the words Aser Ta'aser, you shall surely tithe. The Vilna Gon says, it has a Zakaif Katon on it, a small Zakaif. Why? Because the katon, the small person, the poor man, will be zakaif, will become an upstanding, straight, tall person. He'll become wealthier through miser. 
He says there's a hint within the music of the, of the Torah is telling you on a musical level the same message as it's telling you on the word level, on the intellectual level. Aser ta'aser, Chazal say, aser kideshatis asher. Tithe in order that you'll become wealthy. And the Vilna Gaon says, it's a zakef katon, because even the one who is small can become great and tall through the micering, meaning even financially, mm. right? It's just like an interesting level. It's also an interesting example when we're talking about how the letters and the words speak to us on so many levels, to realize there's invisible levels in the Torah as well, right? There's the level, like we said, with the pay and the base. There's invisible letters in the white spaces around the dark letters, right? And there are musical letters. There's the trope. There's the tune. We had this year, Rabbi Apter in Santa Monica leaned the Shiras Hayam on the seventh day of Pesach, I've never heard anything like it. Apparently, it's a yekish, it's a yekish way of doing this. Tom Elyon, I know it was like standing at the Red Sea and hearing it. I never, it was the most unbelievable thing I've ever heard. It was a song, and it was incredible. But it was, it was leaning also. It was leaning, but parts of it were, it was completely different. And when you hear something like that, you understand how the trope, it's not just some tune that the boys have to learn. It's a message. It's a whole way of telling you the Torah. On it's yet another level. There's yeah. a whole school that only teaches with that, the Tamim. Right. Well, teaching with the Tamim is anyway correct because that's, right, that's like, uh, that's the way the Torah is. Zilberman. It's a good way. Yeah, Zilberman. But my boys also did it before there was like a Zilberman, like the schools. A lot of schools, certain Rebbe's will teach that way. They teach only that way. But yeah, like this is, right, the Torah is speaking to us on all these different levels. And another example he gives is, hmm. Parshas Miketz starts with a Zakef Gadol. It's the only Parsha that does. And the Zohar says, I didn't see this myself. I believe it. The Zohar says, this is because Miketz means at the end. It was at the end. And there's uh, Ketz, the word Ketz itself, okay, which is 190, so it represents the number of years that were taken off of the time in the Geula. Uh, the, sorry off of the time in the Golos and Mitzrayim, where there are 210 years of the 400-year Golos were in Egypt. 190 of the years were in Canaan, right? Avraham was living in Canaan. He had a child. He had, all those years were part of the Golos, and they were in Canaan. It's an example, by the way, of how you could be a slave without having back-breaking labor. Because already he knew his children are going to be enslaved, so the Golos started. But it counted in our credit. It counts to the 400. So there's that 190-year difference of the 210 we were in Egypt and the 190 we weren't. 190 is the word kates. Okay? So kates, you see also um, when, when Yaakov called his sons to him, right? And Chazal say, Yaakov, Yaakov was going to reveal the end. Kates is always the end. It's when's the ge'ula going to be. So the parsha called me kates starts with a zakef gadol. And the Zohar says the reason it does, it's the only Parsha that does, is because it's referring to the Zakif as Yisrael, Zakef Gadol. It's the big lifting up of those who are bent. It's referring to the great raising up of the Jewish people when we will stand up, like the Harachaman, right? Lead us back upright into our land. That's what it's referring to in Parsha's Miketz. Okay. So Rav Hirsch says, we're going to start transitioning now into now applying this a little bit more into our, our davening and hopefully into our thoughts as well uh, throughout, not only in davening. 
in the word kofaf. In the moment when a person places himself completely in the position of somebody else, strips himself of all egoism. That's the bent half. In line like with that Rambam, who said that this, the person who can say things like not assertively. Okay, when a person can put himself completely in the position of somebody else and strips himself of all egoism, he has thereby raised himself to the height of the standpoint from which all duties of life and mitzvahs wish to be performed. That's a very deep comment. It sounds good, but it's, then what do you say? Well, wait, what did that mean? Okay. <laughs> you say, it sounds nice, and then you say, well, what does that mean? <laughs> okay. If you can make it that it's not your ego at all, now what you've done is left room for it to be about somebody else's will, not your own will. Now, you can do, first of all, if you're talking to somebody else, Rabbi Orla will quote his brother, right, as saying he, he, his, he says his brother says that he spills himself out completely so that some, there's room for someone else to come in, right? It's not you. It's somebody else. You can completely feel the other person. But you see this idea where um, great people, let's say, will cry for the pain of the Shekhinah. If it's not you, if it's not all about yourself, now all of a sudden there's room for it to be about somebody else. That can be a bad thing, and that can be a good thing, right? That can be a bad thing if what you're submitting to is other people's ideas and all kinds of other pressures, and, and all of a sudden you're bent over and you're enslaved to it. Or you can have the kind of chaf that becomes, over time, a chaf sofi, which means all of a sudden I've merged two things together that really were one anyway. One is my free will, which is Maitzalam Elohim, which is godly. So the conflict to that, of course, is the Yetzirah. But to the extent that I'm actually choosing over my Yetzirah, now my actual free will, my ability to choose, this is a divine aspect of me. When I can be then completely not about myself, but about what, what is God's will, then my will and God's will can become unified. This is a very high-level thing. It's something we will actually build toward wherever we are holding as we move towards Shemona Esrei, which is over quite a long period of time, Ramit Hashem. But it's something that like, even people like us can work toward. It doesn't mean we achieve that kind of perfection all the time, but that we can achieve a concept of how we move in that direction, <coughs> how we think in that direction as we move from Brachos towards Shemona Esrei. This idea of being bent over and making room for someone else's will. Not, well, this is my will and that's your will, but let me stop thinking about what I want for a little while and let me just think about what it's like for the other one. What's it like for the other person? What do they want? How do they feel? Right, because if it's just, well, I want this and I'm resisting, but that, so I'm giving in to them, so now I'm, I'm just as enslaved as I was before. I feel like I'm a slave, right? But if I'm just stopping and saying, well, what does this person want? How do they feel? Where, where are they? I've made room for something divine. This becomes then a means for bending the Yetzirah instead of bending ourselves to the Yetzirah. Now we're going to talk about this bending more because I know that what I just said was like, it's like a vague description. Okay. So the Aruch HaShulchan says, and we see this at many sources, there's a Maharal like this as well, Inyan Ha'adam, 
a distinguishing aspect of man is komaso yashara, that his stature is straight. We stand in the vertical. We don't walk on all fours, which would put us in the horizontal plane. Ha'adam gadol bekoma mi chayim. We tend to stand in a tall, a tall axis compared to animals. They walk on four, man walks on two, and therefore looks up. And instead of looking down toward the ground, we look up naturally. And that's supposed to be indicative to us of our source of where everything comes from. In last week's Parsha, maybe I should preface this by reminding you that one of the things that we said about brachos is that the purpose of a bracha is to attach that which is in the physical world to its source in the spiritual world. That's every, every time we say a bracha, that's what we're doing. And furthermore, in Birchos HaShachar, in this set of brachos, there is a specific aspect where we are looking and appreciating the physical, the physical gifts God gives us and devoting them and dedicating them to serving Hashem. And furthermore, that we recognize that in the gifts of this physical opportunities he gives us, the ability to stretch, the ability to move, to walk, to think, to see, that in giving those things to us, what he has given us is a way of perfecting ourselves to his will and repairing the damage that was done in Gan Eden. We talked about this all the way at the beginning, that this was somehow a theme throughout, that this is the greatest gift of all, is the ability to do tshuva. The ability for us, each of us in our own way, where we have stumbled to be able to make our corrections, and that this is the ultimate gift, that we were not rejected like the snake. The snake was told, go, I don't want to hear from you again. Al gechon chatelech, you shall crawl on your belly. In other words, you'll have as much food as you want. I don't ever want to hear from you. And to man, he said, you're going to sweat to get your food. Every few hours, you'll need to eat. You'll need to make a bracha. You'll need to make a bracha achrona. You'll need to thank God for the food. You will be dependent. It won't come so easily. It won't come out of the ground so easily, right? I want to hear from you. And that we have more work, but it's good. So in last week's Parsha, you have a big vav, and it's in the middle of the word gechon. It's telling you don't eat creatures that crawl on their bellies. And I mean, you can't miss it. It's like, oh yeah, snake, right? Okay. It's also the middle word, of, middle, that vav is big, and it's also the middle letter of the Torah. This was last week's Parsha, Shmini. Okay. So Hashem said to the snake, because you did this, you are cursed from all the animals, all the wildlife of the fields, al gechon chaselech, you will crawl on your belly. And... Uh, man will sort of step on you on your head and you'll try and bite him from the heel. What does that mean? So Rav Hirsch puts it like this. Why do we care that he's gonna, what, we have to step on his head and he's gonna bite us from the heel? In other words, the snake, the Yetzirah, is gonna have an ongoing job to educate mankind to its real calling. The Yitzhahara is there to educate us to what we need to do. We have to keep stepping on its head. It has to keep biting us on the heel. But the heel is the lowest part of us. The head is the highest part. We have to step on the head of the Yitzhahara. That's out. Okay, and we're going to, we will in Ritz Hashem. I know I keep saying we're going to talk about, but like, I had no way to compress this down somehow, so I just have to spread it out. And as always, there's always that problem of where do you start in a circle? So we just somewhere we jump in and then we come back around okay 
the idea of, so what is the snake's argument? Meaning, what is it that we have to step on, and what is it right, that he's reminding us of? Here's how the Orachim says it. He will step on your head at the time that he'll be the head. In other words, when man is going with his head, and when he's the boss, when he is the head, then he's beating down the Sahara. Then we're on top of the Sahara, and the Sahara has no power. That's with the Torah and mitzvot. But you will bite him in the heel when he will be a heel, when he will be at the lowest points. And that is that whenever the Jewish people are doing God's will, then the snake has to bend his head, kofei Rosho. He has to, it's our word, right? He has to bend down his head and the opposite, God forbid. Okay, when we're not doing God's will, then our head gets bent to the snake. So what does it mean that Rashi says, Hashem said you will creep on your belly. He says to the snake, to say you're gonna creep on your belly, what else does a snake do? Of course snakes creep on their belly. Rashi says no, he had legs and they were cut off. The snake had legs and now he doesn't have legs. God said, no more legs for you. He stood on two legs, by the way. It's not like a, like a crawling creature. Like the Geico icon? Uh, <laughs> I don't think that one naturally stands on two legs. I know they say that um, Rav Baruch Halevi Epstein was very excited when they first discovered dinosaur bones because he felt that that could represent like a primordial nachash of some sort, like a two leg, a standing on two leg kind yeah. of reptile. Okay, I don't, I don't know. Um, the Nachash walked with what's called Komasa Zakufa. He had a Koma Zakufa, a lifted up and straight way of walking. He stood on two legs, and God said, now you're going to crawl on your belly. That's a very extreme change. That's like a really big difference. This is his punishment. He will lose even the simple joys that other animals have, savoring food, just the feeling of running, don't they swallow food whole, like snakes? Yeah, they don't, they they don't, don't like, have they the savoring right. of it. They, they digest it whole even, yeah. right? Okay. His head is as low as his entire body. That's how Rav Hirsch puts it. The head as low as the rest of the body. That's lower than other animals. Other animals have legs, so, like, you know, their head could, like, be higher. The snake's head is at the same level as the rest of the body. In other words... There's nothing more to your brain, to your choice and ability than that. Even You're down at the level of body. <laughs> Even cockroaches have legs. Very good. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I've never thought of anything positive about cockroaches, but that, so that's good. really good. Thank you. Okay, so you think of it as kafuf, kafifa, was imposed upon him. In the future, Chazal teaches, Klayakar brings this, Hashem says, you will be more cursed than all the other animals because in the future, all the animals will come to the snake and say, what pleasure do you have? Lions can enjoy tearing their prey apart, whatever savage pleasure they have. What do you have? You are more cursed than all the other animals. Every one of them has some kind of pleasure, if only from the fact that they can capture their prey and tear it to pieces and eat it, and the snake has nothing why? He has no pleasure. The one who uses his tongue, like Lashon Hara, has no benefit. The person who thinks that it's 
a, it's a saying. I think, I assume it's a chazal, right? That the one who, one who uses his mouth to get his pleasure, like by speaking against other people, will have no pleasure. In the end, will have no pleasure. So the snake, this is, this is the source of this idea, that the snake will have no pleasure at all. The well, low, he yeah. He spoke the ultimate Lashon Hara. He spoke right? the ultimate Lashon and we'll see how it ties back, like there's a specific angle to what he told them mm -hmm. that ties back to this idea that his posture has to be bent, sort of the ultimate example of being subjected to the Yitzhahara. And the Nachash sort of is the Yitzhahara, but it's like the ultimate being subjected to the Yitzhahara. The ultimate, your head is on the level of your body. It's like a horrible thing. So it's a physical reflection of the spiritual truth of the snake is in his new body morphology. The world as a whole struggles for existence. Animals have to struggle to get their you know, prey and to find what they need to eat and to survive. People are going to have to struggle for existence now since Gan Eden. We're going to have to struggle to, to plant and plow and, and grow and work and stay late at the office and try and get a job or pound the pavement. But the animals are kind of sharing in the struggle with us, is what the Kleyakar is saying. We're all in this together. It's that arura ha'adama bavurecha, like the, the earth is cursed on your behalf. You're, you're in it together. We're all in it together, except the snake. The snake doesn't even get the ability to be elevated by being in the struggle with us. The snake is like out. The only element that the snake is in it with us is by being the, the source of struggle and difficulty, rather than any kind of pleasure of overcoming it. But Hashem put the snake in Gan Eden for a purpose. Yeah. So the snake didn't have free will. Or did the snake have free will at that point? It's not I mean, perfectly clear from the sources. So it's it's not perfectly clear. Like that yeah. Hashem created the world with that. That's right. Yitzhahara for our benefit. That's right. And somehow the snake. So was that's a common theme. It's a common theme in the sense that we've talked about it, and where we're going with Zokev Kifufim is to put a new angle on it. We talked about it in Matera Surim and talking about freedom of the night, the idea of the value of the struggle. We have a value of the struggle in the dark, that there's changes in us and there's growth that we can do when things are difficult and we're overcoming the difficult challenges that has an even greater value than what we can achieve easily when things are light and it's obvious and clear and we're full of energy and everything's wonderful. That battle against the Yitzhahara relates to that. We see foreshadowing, so to speak, even in the Torah. Well before man was created, you have the sun and moon and the moon is made smaller Right, that, that it used to be that the moon reflected the sun's light perfectly. And so the moon was as bright as the sun. And now the moon has somehow been reduced, right? And so they're sharing the same crown, but it's not sharing the same crown because it's so much darker. And yet we know that the fate of the moon is tied up with the fate of the Jewish people. And that when the Jewish people are returned to our glory, the moon will return to its glory. It's also tied in with the sun and the moon with the power of the men and the women, the women receiving and reflecting light in Torah more than we generate light in Torah. And this as well is a, is a crown that comes returned and rectified in the end. So somehow it's all tangled up. It, it, there is a sense that there's a level of inevitability to it. 
And yet, Adam had free will. Adam and Chava have free will. We don't take that away from them. But we do get a sense, like you're saying, that there's, there's some degree of something that has to happen here. We hinted to it before when we spoke about the role of women, right, in Shalsani Kirtsono, mm -hmm. where we talked about an idea, Rav David Cohen kind of flushed, not Cohen, Rav David Cohen flushes this out, <coughs> where he talks about the role of women, um, that in the zechus of the women, righteous women, we were saved from its rhyme, and in their merit, we will be redeemed in the future. And this is the same idea as in the place where Bali Chuva stand, even a perfect tzaddik can't stand. Because there is something to our bechira, to our free will, where we're choosing God. We spoke about this Rosh Hashanah time. Now I'm remembering <laughs> because we talked about it in terms of Hamlachas Hashem, choosing God as king. But that's a, it's part of the main avoda of Rosh Hashanah, is saying Hashem is melech. Okay? When we fail and we sin, and then we come back and we say, I was wrong and you were right. Right? Like we say in Vidui, let's say, Yom Kippur, Velo Shavalanu. There was no value. I, I had no, there was nothing right to what I chose. I chose wrong. And I, I want to come back to you because you're, you're the true king and you know what's really right and wrong and I want to do what you're saying. There's a value to the level we achieve in our teshuva that is even beyond where we were before. It doesn't mean we prefer to sin and do teshuva. We don't. We don't. But there's an element in the world as well where mankind, when we come back around in this great big circle of human history, where the closer we get to the end, the closer we're getting back to our beginnings again, mm -hmm. we'll be back where we started and yet we'll be at a higher level. There's something even greater at the end of days than was at the beginning of days because we will have come through a completely perfect process of teshuva as an entire humanity together. And so this, this is the idea of seven, a cycle of seven, which is a cycle of Kedusha and a cycle of nature, and sometimes being able to get to a level of eight, where you come back around, like on your octave, you get back around to Do or to see again, and yet you're at a higher octave. You're in a higher place. It's the same place, but it's a higher place. And this is a process we can achieve through Teshuvah. So that was a little bit on the side. Emirates Hashem, <laughs> I hope we'll get a little farther next time talking about the snake, how it plays out in our davening and in our thinking so that we can understand how to apply because we really didn't get so much to the idea of, um, of applying the ideas. I mean, just, right, we, we did a little review, we did a little talking about the, the tzura of the snake. But now the question is, so what, do we, what can we take from the idea? The snake is bent down. Is it better to be bent down? Is it better to be stood up? We're saying Hashem is the one who raises us up. So that sounds like it's good to be up, but it, we want to be up, but then when do we have to be down and leave room for others or leave room for Hashem or leave room for ourselves? Where is there room for all of us? So this is Mitzvah Hashem next time. Yeah. Uh, we're closing in on the end of the year, so I want to make sure we so, so achieve our goals here. aspects to being bent over. One is to one is to, or making room with, within yourself, one is to make room for Hashem, and the other one is to let go of your desires so that you can understand somebody else's emotional feelings. It's like there's two parts. Yeah, you're right. I didn't, I didn't explain how you could put that together, because we really, we talked about there's the pressure from below, which is like the Yitzhahara pressure. Right. Thank you. And there's the pressure from above, which is Hashem's will. Right. So how do you make room for the other? So... Really, the secret to that is on this idea that, that it's about Selim Elohim, meaning when I realize that my choice and my free choice, this is my godliness, 
Right. As Rav Schwab calls it, the crown of humanity, our ability to choose. Right. Okay. So my choice is already in the world of supernatural. That's up here in hell, oh. right? Okay. When I realize that this is an aspect, right, of my neshama, it's a, it's a my neshama is ex, one an expression of my neshama is my ability to make choice. Right. Okay. Then, when I'm choosing, I'm not choosing based on what do I want. I can make a choice at a higher level. I don't have to choose. I could choose based on what I want, and that could be a re real free will choice, and right. it could be an expression of my humanity, but it could still be driven by what came below. Right? Mm -hmm. Or I could make a free will choice, and I can say, what is it Hashem wants? Like, what's, this is, I want to express the, I want to be a channel of Hashem into the world. I want to be a Kiddush Hashem, right. right? So that through my actions, people will look and say Hashem is greater right. because of my actions. Right. When I choose that, I'm giving a greater revelation of Hashem, of, of the fact that I have a Neshama in me, right. which is an aspect of Hashem shining into the world. Got it. I can do the same thing when I'm listening to another person. So you are if I'm thinking mm -hmm. about them completely, mm -hmm. then what I'm doing is, so it's their neshama shining into the world. And it doesn't matter because it's about God's will. Then it doesn't matter if it's me or it's them. You hear? Because it, when, as soon as it's not my ego at all, right. as soon as it's not my ego at all and it's only God's will, and it's only what's, what is in this state, then I can feel along with somebody else. I can empty myself out. I can say, let me hear what this other person's saying. Let me try and feel what this other person's feeling. Let me try and, and see, like, how did they come to these ideas? Where, how are they thinking? Okay. And then I can be, like, whole inside of that space because it's all really a godly space. As soon as it's not about ego, it can be about God. And as soon as it's about God, it doesn't have to only be me. We get this. We're going to see this as we work our way up. Even in Shema, it's me and God. It's just the two of us. At this level, it's kind of like about me and my experience of the world. Right. We're in brachos. We're looking at the world. I, I can stretch. I can move. I can see. This is amazing. It's my experience. It's about me. That's okay. Right. right? Now, when I move up to this level of emotional state, mm -hmm. it's also about unity and other people and, and, and Jewish history and all these amazing things. Not only about me. I can be more inclusive than that. When I move up to, Hash, up to that level of head, all of a sudden it's me and Hashem. Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad is a lot of love, Ahava. All the brachas about Shema are about yeah, love. Right. And then Ve'ohav Tois Hashem Elokecha, you loving God. It's very intimate. Right. And when you move up to the level of Shemona Esrei, oh, I didn't even put those on here? Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, here they are. Here they are. Prayer sections are here. When I move up to the level of Shemona Esrei, it's not really about me at all. It's just about I'm merging my will to Hashem's right, will. Right, right. And you see that the way that we speak when our will is merged with Hashem's will, everything is in the plural, more or less. Everything becomes plural. Place your peace upon us. We're all like, we're all like one in the light of you, in your light. So when we say, because us is him and us, him we're and just me, sort of like, or just we're expressing Hashem's will. Israel. The truth is, in, in Shemun Esra, we're expressing God's will. And to the extent that we want to ask for something, we insert it within, we, we like... 
slide it into the layers of his will. Uh -huh. We say it's your will, really, that there should be a messianic error, that there should be no sickness. Sickness is only a result of sin. Should be no sickness. Everyone should be healed. Like at Har Sinai, where everyone was healed, right? You want everyone to be healed. By the way, could you please send a refuah shalem at the Han of Yeah? yeah. It's slid in. This okay. is really your will. Han of Yeah. Is that your mom? That's my mom. Yeah. Oh, Among others. There are many others, right? So amongst everyone else. It's always like we, we, can, we slide in everything that we want, but everything we want is in terms of really God's will. It stops being about me. It's kind of not about me at all. It's about Hashem. And yet, that completely takes care of everything I need. Okay, sorry. It's, it, it's, a, it's a complete, it's like a complete reversal. It turns everything inside of myself inside out. Right. It's everything that I want. I start thinking only about Hashem, and somehow that will take care of everything that I want. It's not that I'm not allowed to want. It's that I'm not wanting for me. It's not me anymore. It's not ego. It's him. Okay. It's a completely different. Uh, we're we're so not mm. talking about Shmona Esther. We're talking about brachos. Right, right, brachos. <laughs> I hear. I'm we're just not. To, like, like, <laughs> when we when we when we don't make it about us, I guess what I'm trying to yeah. grasp is if we're not when we are saying we are an image of Hashem, and we try to empty all of our ego out, and then look at the other person and hear their perspective of things. Then at that point, just listening to the other person becomes part of that bracha, or is like part of the word word kuf, or is it that we say, "I'm emptying myself out. I'm I'm hearing what you have to say, and Hashem, I want your will to tell me how I can help this person." I think well, that that's for sure true. Okay. But I think it's even before that. I think it's even just the receiving. Just the receiving. I think okay. so because the word kaf is a mm -hmm. is a is that spoon shape. It's just Got the receiving. It. Mm -hmm. And you, you create the you create, cough by yeah. making that space inside of yourself. Okay. And, and the truth is we all know from having our own problems that somebody who could just really receive it with us, that's a big help. That's a really big help already. And if, I, and if Hashem will send, you know, this is, this is something we haven't talked about so much, this idea of Baruch in general. Right. I mean, I'm sure I brought it up because yeah. I do always when we talked about Baruch, but this idea that if it's Hashem's energy that's coming, like you said, if Hashem will send me how to help this person, right? But again, it doesn't, does it have to be me? It doesn't really matter anymore. Right. I want this person to be helped. So I'm really, I'm saying, is Hashem, please help this person. I would like, it would be an honor if I could be if the one I to do it. It would be a privilege to be the vessel for that. But, okay. but it's not really about me. Okay. Right? It's the ultimate good. You want the ultimate outcome. You want Hashem's will to come. You want Hashem's bracha to be delivered. Okay. So you, want, you want people to experience Hashem's bracha. So the desire to, for that to happen itself makes you a pretty fitting kli for it. You tend to see that, that leads, one thing leads to another, but it doesn't have to, and it's okay. You don't mind. Got it. Because okay. it isn't about your ego. It's not, oh, how come they got to help, and they get all the credit for being the one who saved the day. Right, like, right. if you're davening for someone to be helped and saved, you're just glad they were. Okay, so I have another question. When we were talking about this, it, it can also get it to be an evil part when you're... I'm talking about myself. <laughs> when I'm saying, oh, look at me, I gave up my will to Hashem's will, That's and, right. you know, it's like... That's right. And so yet it you, has to be, right? It almost has to be, because there's a degree... There's a degree to which we have to be able to pat ourselves on the back. Oh, Okay. There's a degree to which we have to be able to say, I did the right thing. 
Because if not, I'm dependent on someone else to tell me I did the right thing. Okay. <laughs> Took me a long time to be macabre that message. <laughs> but it's true, as usual. Okay. <laughs> There's a degree to which we have to be able to tell ourselves that we did a good job. Otherwise, we're dependent on someone else to do it. So, okay, I'll give you a personal example, if embarrassing. There was one time when I was I was in this room, actually, but I don't think we were even doing this year yet. And the room was empty, so I was davening. And it was like a really good davening. It doesn't always happen. <laughs> it's like a good Shrona yesterday, and I was really enjoying it, and I was centered, and it, it wasn't about me and whatever. And then I sort of heard a noise. You know how sometimes it sounds like someone came into the room? Right. It sort of felt like somebody came into the room. And immediately, first of all, my brain is now not here. My brain is like back here somewhere, right? I'm thinking like, oh, did somebody come into the room? And then I'm thinking, oh, maybe they'll notice that I'm davening. Like, look at this great davening. And I'm like, like, what is the matter with you? You're, you're like talking to God. Okay, I'm just sharing with you. This is like real adventures in real life. Adventures in real life, okay? No, like we're, you're saying we're all in this together. We are like all in this together, right? I'm not one of those people. I'm just like one of us, you know? So like, oh, like, look how look how well she's dominating. And then I was like, that is so embarrassing. Like I'm the only one who knows I thought that, me and God, right? But like, that's humiliating. Here's like lofty, elevated Shrona essay, and boom, you're right where you were before. Maybe someone noticed. And then I'm like, you know, like I don't know if anyone's in the room or not. But the truth is, I could notice that I had a good Shrona essay. Now that doesn't sound profound, but for me it was profound. I could notice that was a good Shimon Esrei. I was like, yeah, at least three quarters of it, yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. The first three quarters of it, I actually was. So, now, by the way, that's also an example of how you can, you can step on the head of the Sahara. When you step on the head of the Sahara, you're also a little higher than you were before. You're like an inch and a half higher. You're standing on a snake, right? Um, <laughs> you're not a lot higher. Yeah. You're a little higher. But it's an interesting visual. Yes. Okay? When our Sahara bites us, we might fall, but when we stand back up, we're a little taller than we were. Okay, I did. It was it, that was something that was a fundamental new thought, and maybe I wouldn't have had it if I hadn't gotten distracted. It's an example of minor tshuva. Okay, let's use it as an example of tiny tshuva, because mini, you had the mini tshuva. You had the awareness. It was an awareness. So first was the awareness that like I was really very low, low level, and the second was the awareness. Well, I'm at a low level, but there could be something a little more than that. Right. And exactly. then find that. Like not that I'm like so up here. Recognize where am I really? That's that's horrible, but okay. Where can we go from there? And you know what? That was like a that was a profound difference because it applies really throughout the day, not only when I'm standing next to a wall in Davinishman essay, yeah. also throughout the day. To be able to say, "Wow, that was that was really something special." Now there's a level above that, which is when I'm focused on the fact that you know what? There's days that aren't like that. <laughs> there's one essays that aren't like that, and there's days where I. I have, you know, egotistical thoughts, and I don't counter them. And those days are, right? Mm. So, and, and by the way, who says I should ever have gotten to a place where I could think of that? That there's a sheer on Thursday mornings that I could come to where I could hear an idea like that? Mm. Right, I'm saying, so that's a gift. Right. This is all really a gift. So really, Hashem sent that to me. So on the one hand, I have to be grateful and realize of something that I did and chose and thought. It wasn't in an action. But it's profound, and it will affect the actions down the line. And at the same time, it's not me. So the way you express that is thank you. When I say thank you, thank you, Hashem, 
Thank you for sending me the thought. Thank you for sending me the idea. Thank you for caring about me enough to want me to come to you, to want me to get a little bit better in that way. That, that's the ultimate caring. That's the ultimate message of all these brachos. The ultimate message of these brachos is you could have left us crawling on our bellies like snakes. And you cared enough to give us a struggle for 6,000 years through humanity's history. And each one of us in our own life, which in our own, is our own world and our own history of humanity from birth to death in each of us. And you cared about us enough to give us that struggle through it so that we could come closer to you. We really are very grateful for that. So when we say, this is what our brachos are. I say, thank you. When I say thank you, what I combine in it is, I recognize I made a good choice. And I'm grateful to you because I know it's not really even to my credit. Even my choices depend on you. But I have to take responsibility for them. So the way I balance those out is by saying thank you. Mm. A little bit we're going to talk about that in the Modim. Mm-hmm. When we're coming to now. Like really we're not in Shemona Esri on Modim. But it happens to come up over here already. Right? Hoda means admitting that I'm wrong and you're right. And it also means thanking. There's two aspects. I have a question. It's not really related. Someone I know, um, a week before their wedding, broke the heel of their foot. Does that mean anything? Do you think? The con- I think it's called can- con- uh, conchalis bone of Ouch. their foot. Oh. It, it means it's painful. Yes, <laughs> it's painful. No, we definitely are not equipped to look at other people and understand what things mean for them. It's definitely a challenge for them. It must be very difficult. People have their dreams. They're going to dance at their wedding. They're going to Right? And to, to be held back from that means a lot of being able to, to have to accept things in a way that isn't what you were looking forward to. That's pretty painful. It means they need support, physical and emotional, because it's not going to be easy. Mm. Right? That's what it means. What else do we know? Mm. What else do we know? We don't know what things are for people. There's too, yeah, many, really? there too many variables. People. Wow. People take what they're able to take from what happens. Okay, thank you. Thank, thank you, you Sarah. Okay, so Emir Tashem will. We, we got to keep building because we have to get at least.